Welcome to Biblio Observatory, a new series of the South Carolina State Library's podcast, Library Voices SC. I am Yvette Villarreal, Biblio Observatory hostess. And I am Caroline Smith, the Inclusive Services Consultant at the South Carolina State Library. This is a special transmission from Columbia, South Carolina, to explore the universe of books and stories that people treasure from their childhood and how those stories define the lives of people touched by them. Today, we have a wonderful guest. Her name is Berta Berries. Welcome, Berta. It's so nice to have you with us thank, today. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here and share family stories. Yeah, thank you for being here. Could you tell us a little bit about yourself? First? Yes. Um, so my family came to the United States in 1958. I was eight years old. I grew up in Miami. In Miami, there's a large Cuban community still today. Mm -hmm. So I spoke Spanish at home, and there's Spanish everywhere. People say that you really don't need to speak English when you go to Miami. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, I was lucky enough to have my family with me. Um, I became much later a, a bilingual teacher in Boston Public Schools. So I was lucky enough to work with children from Spanish-speaking countries. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of my missions was to make sure that the children, my students, had their own stories mm -hmm. in the classroom. That's great. Can you tell us a little bit more about your childhood? Yes, I loved uh, being a kid in Cuba. Um, I never really wanted to leave. I would spend my uh, days uh, outside uh, looking at the lizards. They were my favorite creatures. Mm -hmm. And um, I would watch them communicate with each other. So they had different motions for different things that happened afterwards. It could be a fight, it could be somebody running away, it could be playing, but I say that was my first bilingual experience. So when I came to the United States, I didn't speak any English, but I could look at people, just mm -hmm. like I looked at the lizards, and figure out what they were trying to say. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit more about your hometown? Okay, so I was born in La Habana, Cuba. That is the capital city, current capital city of, of Cuba today. Um, uh, there, I lived with my mom and my dad and my grandmother and my big brother. And then just before we left, my little brother was born. Yes, my grandmother was the one who told me these stories that I'm going to mm -hmm. share with you today. Would you like to go ahead and share one of the stories uh, yes. from your childhood? Yes, I, um, I brought three stories. Mm -hmm. um, the first story is about three f fishermen. They're from uh, Santiago, the most eastern part of the island. Mm -hmm. And the fishermen were um, Tainos, or people of the native culture of Cuba, and an African. And they were fishing, they were out fishing, and then they encountered some bad weather. It was very, very bad. 
And so, um, but then suddenly there appeared something in the sky, something that looked like a big bird and it was flying close to the uh, ocean. And then all of a sudden the oceans calmed down and the apparition or what was looked like a big bird was La Virgen de la Caridad del Cobre, which was, is the patron saint of Cuba. Mm -hmm today. So uh, on our last journey, we went to visit their, uh, her shrine in Santiago. Mm -hmm. And um, it's a very important story for me because it, it, uh, it gives a sense of my uh, identity and all the influences that are involved in being Cuban. Mm -hmm. So I was always trying to figure that out since I came such a young child. Yeah. Have you ever seen the story in a printed format, or was it just passed down orally? I did um, later. Mm -hmm. um, when I first went back to Cuba, I was eight. When I left, I was 40. Mm -hmm. And the same bookstore was there from the time when I was there, uh, La Moderna Poesia. Uh, actually, there's a La Moderna Poesia in Miami also. Um, I found this book, um, Leyendas Cubanas. And in here, there's that story uh -huh. of uh, the fishermen and so on. Um, there's different versions of who was in the boat mm -hmm. uh, or in the canoe. Uh, sometimes it's the Tainos, sometimes it's the Taino, an African and a Spaniard. But it's all about um, these stories that I'm sharing with you today mm -hmm. is all about how I gained my identity as a child through my grandmother's stories. Yeah, so they're all basically to me oral stories uh -huh. I didn't see them in writing mm -hmm. until later yeah can you remember your feelings or your thoughts when your grandmother was talking to you or was sharing these stories with you um, yes I do because it was suspenseful it was a little bit scary I didn't want anybody you know anything wrong to happen to the fishermen, so, uh, and then about the La Virgen de la Caridad del Cobre. It's very interesting because the La Virgen de la Caridad del Cobre, when the Africans came, they developed syncretism or a way of identifying their own deities from their religion to the deities of the Catholics. So um, in as a dancer, which I am a dancer, I, uh, I learned the dance of Oshun, and Oshun is La Virgen de la Caridad del Cobre. For the Africans, they uh, then venerated Oshun, who is the goddess of the river and of love and so on, and um, that's how they managed um, to sort of coexist mm -hmm. in, uh, in the Cuban culture. Interesting. Yeah. I wonder how an eight years old child right now can try to figure all this out. How we could explain that about syncretism to them? Well, um, you know, there's, there's literature everywhere, right? So today, as a teacher, for example, a bilingual teacher, there are the stories in my classroom. There, uh, there's my library. And often I would find uh, that my library was not representative of the children. So 
I would ask them to go home and find their own stories so that they could bring them back to the classroom. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the best fun activities I used to teach third graders and fifth graders was for the children to become storytellers. And they would go around and ask for gigs in the different classrooms and mm -hmm. go around tell stories. And most of the stories were stories from their families, but also stories from their culture. Mm -hmm. So I wanted them to be able to feel um, that they belonged in school and that their stories was an important part of their academic identities. Mm -hmm. Another story that my grandmother told me was about Elin Diotue. Elin Diotue, I didn't know, Elin Diotue came from the Dominican Republic like my great-grandfather. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was a warrior. Elin Diotue had already uh, had uh, experiences fighting against the Spaniards. This was early on in uh, Cuban history around the 1600s or so. And um, so he often in, uh, in the Caribbean, people travel from island to island and participate in everybody's revolutions, <laughs> primarily. <laughs> but um, so El Indio Atue uh, came from Dominican Republic to fight the Spaniards in Cuba. Um, and he was a ferocious, ferocious warrior. And so, but what happened was then he was caught uh, by the Spaniards, and they were going to burn him at the stake. Yeah. And um, there was a um, friar or a monk, mm -hmm. um, uh, Bartolomé de las Casas, mm -hmm. and he was wanting, they wanted to convert mm -hmm. the, uh, the Tainos and so on. So. Um, the, the monk came to him and said, um, will you convert to Catholicism? Uh, then you can go to heaven. So Elin de Atue says, uh, well, uh, tell me, uh, do the Spaniards go to heaven? And uh, the, the monk said, oh, of course, the Spaniards go to heaven. So he said, well, kill me. <laughs> And this was a very important story for me because um, I think that I, I, uh, I gathered my, my fighting spirit mm -hmm. from Elin Diotue. In fact, I didn't know that he wasn't a member of my family mm -hmm. um, when my grandmother uh, told the story. Mm -hmm. So um, it was later on that I sort of figured that out. But um, this was a very important, mm -hmm. another important story about identity. Yeah. That uh, as, a, as a Cuban, then I also am a, a warrior. Mm -hmm. And then the final story that I brought was um, uh, something from Jose Marti. It's a family story. Mm -hmm. uh, because Jose Marti was actually the inspiration, his words w were the inspiration uh, uh, for the independence fight against the Spaniards. Mm -hmm. And uh, his poetry, um, his uh, newspaper reporting, his, he was a journalist mm -hmm. as well. In fact, he had a job as a journalist in the United States uh, and New York. Um, but all of his ideas, uh, primarily this idea of uh, love and fighting for our country, mm -hmm. were inspired, inspired the um, fight against 
um, the Spaniards, to get, to get independence from the Spaniards. Um, and so it was a long war. Uh, there were two wars of independence. So uh, in Cuba, then uh, the, the military, the folks who were fighting the war, they fought. My uh, great-grandfather also came from the Dominican Republic to fight in that war, just like El Indio Toy, which is probably why I thought he was a family member. But anyway, um, the, the warrior said, oh, if you have these ideas, then you must fight. Mm -hmm. And so one day, then uh, Jose Marti got on his horse. In those days, the, f the fight was with a machete. They fought with machetes. And uh, he got on his horse along with the other uh, warriors. And the first thing happened, he, he got killed. Mm. So um, this, is, this was a very important story also about my identity because uh, of the spiritual nature of his influence mm -hmm. in the fight for uh, Cuban independence. Mm -hmm. So uh, there's a difference between uh, being a, a military warrior and being a, a spiritual or intellectual warrior. Mm -hmm. And the two don't necessarily have to mix. Mm -hmm. So. On a side note, my uh, great-grandfather uh, came from the Dominican Republic with his brother and uh, fought in the Cuban War of Independence uh, in the, um, how do you say, troop mm -hmm. uh, of Antonio Maceo. Mm -hmm. And Antonio Maceo was, uh, they call him the Bronze Titan. He was uh, of African descent, and he was known as the most ferocious warrior and he um, didn't allow white people in his um, uh, troop because uh, he, that's the way he was. Mm -hmm. But my great-grandfather and his brother both were in his troop, and uh, his brother lost his life mm. Yeah, in that fight. It was the Cuban War of Independence. Mm -hmm. Do you know the dates of that war? So they were um, over a 10- or 12-year period, during the turn of the century. Mm -hmm. So it started, I don't know the exact dates, but it started sort of late mm -hmm. in the 1800s and mm -hmm. then finished toward the beginning around 1810 or so. Mm -hmm. But they fought hard and a couple of wars there. My great-grandfather became a, a mayor mm -hmm. in uh, La Habana later. Berta, yeah. from all those stories, which one you treasure the most? That's a hard question. Um, but I like the story of El Indio Toe. Mm -hmm. Yes. Because, um, because that has given me the warrior spirit, <laughs> mm -hmm. which I've needed throughout my life. Yes. Yeah. And did you have a passage you wanted to read from one of the stories you brought today? Well, I also brought... Um, Jose Martí, mm -hmm. um, I brought a couple of a couple of his poems. Um, I mentioned him. Um, uh, two of them mm -hmm. uh, are very important to me. Um, this is this is a, a verse from uh, Los Versos Sencillos, mm -hmm. okay, and it's um, it's this verse: Con los pobres de la tierra quiero yo mi suerte echar. El arroyo de la sierra me complace 
más que el mar. So that's about uh, honoring uh, people who, mm -hmm. are, who are poor. And so um, that's, I also, um, I feel that way also, mm -hmm. that I, I prefer, I don't like fancy people. And then there was this other interesting uh, poem. Uh, it's called La Perla de la Mora. And uh, una mora de Tripoli tenía una perla rosada, una gran perla, y la echó con desdén al mar un día, siempre la misma, ya me cansa verla. Pocos años después, junto a la roca de Tripoli, la gente llora a verla. Así le dice al mar la mora loca, oh mar, oh mar, devuélveme mi perla. So this is a poem about um, appreciating what you have and uh, not throwing it away. Mm -hmm. uh, so oftentimes as people, we tend not to appreciate the things that are so close to us that we don't see that they're so valuable and then we discard them. Sometimes that happens to children mm -hmm. uh, uh, about identity. So that in the, in the uh, pressures to assimilate, they may um, be ashamed of their language mm -hmm. and their culture, their families, throwing away la perla, mm -hmm. their pearl, which is what's so necessary for surviving. Yes. And those are all powerful stories, and it's clear how they shaped your identity as you left your homeland to come here. And it does make you think about, do our children today that are going through the same experiences have those stories available to them or not? Yes, and there is a word mm -hmm. that I is, is still in my mind, and it's about the warrior. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us? a little bit um, more about it, because in our current days, a warrior can be uh, conceived more like a, in a violent figure. How would you uh, explain that to us? I think that um, it's good to use stories from my experience as a teacher to explain the importance of that word because in Boston Public Schools, the um, Latino children were segregated. It's similar to the experience of African Americans here in this country. And even though uh, there was a vote against bilingual education in the state, uh, still after they lost bilingual education in Massachusetts, the children remained segregated. So, um, one of my um, tools or weapons uh, to make sure that the children didn't feel a loss of sense of belonging in mm -hmm. school is to um, inspire them to critically analyze themselves as um, intellectuals and also as members of their families and their cultures. Mm -hmm. And to consider that the segregation, their own segregation, is um, unjust and a loss for themselves and the community. So most of my children were children who were born here in the United States. Mm -hmm. In fact, um, as I did my doctoral studies on this group, 
it's the most at risk. Mm -hmm. So oftentimes, um, I would want the children to understand that their condition as a segregated group um, doesn't mean that they are less than the other children. In fact, oftentimes, the children in the other classrooms are just like them. There are Latinos, there's African Americans, there's some who are not, but mostly Latinos and African Americans. So um, I would teach the children to fight, uh, to be warriors, so that they could shed that uh, experience of not belonging in school because that's an inhibitor to their own self-worth and um, their own pr progress and their own ability to develop academic identities. So um, we would do things, like I said, the uh, storytelling. The kids would tell stories mm -hmm. from their cultures. Um, at times, we would ha do something more direct, like uh, we've invited a principal in uh, to the classroom and to um, protest um, about segregation and so on. Um, and uh, so this idea, this warrior spirit, I hope I trans related to my students, and uh, they say that if you have a teacher for one year, only one teacher in your life who inspired you, mm -hmm. that's all you need to become a warrior. It sounds like yeah. you're really instilling a sense of pride in their own identity and background, that it's not something they need to be ashamed of or hide, but can use to yeah. guide them, right? Exactly, exactly. How language literacy and visual arts come to play a big role on this? Okay, so um, I, you know, this has been my sort of quest throughout my life, is to study this, study my life basically, <laughs> but it's for my students. Um, so I did my doctoral research on um, this idea of identity and academic progress. So uh, the children had to draw a picture of themselves playing with their friends. And it was around this uh, art that we designed an interview. I worked with Carola and Marcelo Suarez Orozco. They are uh, prominent uh, uh, investigators, uh, researchers, and writers about Im immigrant experience and so on. What I found out from the children, which surprised me really, is that language is the most central and important aspect of their connection to their families. Mm -hmm. So there were um, different, three different types of identities. I also used the work of Antonia Darder of becoming bicultural in schools. This is a very important mm -hmm. reading and she analyzed identities of folks who were becoming bicultural. And so my students paralleled these types of identities. So it turned out that the children who were most at risk were the children who were ambivalent about their identities, the children who had chosen not to speak Spanish, who were ashamed of their uncles coming to pick them up after school at the park, and speak to them in Spanish. This idea of shame mm -hmm. uh, is, was central to the children who were in this category, who were ambivalent. 
some of the children uh, were sad about it. Like they had lost the family language, they could not speak to their family members anymore, mm -hmm. and they wished they could. Uh, other children um, did not have that critical perspective. Mm -hmm. then, um, then the bicultural kids um, who were affirmed in their identities, they were the ones who were doing the best. Mm -hmm. So in their situation, the children, the young children, uh, re remember, all of these are children who were born here in the United States, um, were very proud of speaking their family language and were able to switch from the family language at home, which I say family language because it is Spanish, but all of us who come from different countries have different Spanish. Mm -hmm. So whatever the family language is, in many cases, like those of us who were born, uh, mm -hmm. born here or grew up here, it's Spanglish. Mm -hmm. But whatever the family language is, the children are very proud mm -hmm. and very easily going back and forth. And I imagine that would apply if it's an indigenous language or an immigrant from another area, too. Yes, it would, way. but I only worked with Latino mm -hmm. kids in yeah. my classroom, you know, the third graders and the fifth graders and so on. Actually, third grade was when the children were most at risk. Mm -hmm. After third grade, then they fall off. The, um, the children who come to this country with their identities and their language, mm -hmm. they don't know English, but by the time they have finished whatever grade I'm teaching them, third grade or fifth grade, they have learned English, and they don't have the problem with identity that the mm -hmm. children who are born here have at all because they, can, they come fully formed with, mm -hmm. I'm a Dominican, I speak Spanish, mm -hmm. this is how we dance, this is, you know, they know the whole story. Mm -hmm. So it's counterintuitive because people think, oh, they don't speak English. Oh, mm -hmm. no, it's not the case. It's it's the, the Spanish that's mm -hmm. the key to their success mm -hmm. and their identities as members of their culture. Mm -hmm. Before uh, we um, keep um, talking about mm -hmm. um, these resources, um, I would love to mention that Jose Marti was one of our pioneers of children's literature mm -hmm in Latin America. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's a great resources for uh, people who is trying to find uh, stories from centuries ago. Oh, yeah. And do you know any specific books you could recommend if there are libraries or educators listening in? Yes. La Edad de Oro. I brought, I brought my copy, which is a grown-up version, mm -hmm. but <laughs> this I one have, is... I have the children's version. With illustrations and so on. It's beautiful. Mm -hmm. it, um, he, he was a revolutionary of his time. He uh, appreciated the indigenous cultures as well. Mm -hmm. Yes, uh, um, Jose Marti published four issues of La Edad de Oro between July and October 1889. You should check it out. <laughs> yes. yes. Is there anything you would like to add? Um, especially for children. Yes. If there are children and teens around mm -hmm. that happen to hear this recording, this post mm -hmm. podcast, is yeah. there anything especially you would like to tell them? Yes, I think that I'd like to share my experience as a kid. <laughs> 
I um, still think of myself an eight-year-old in a way, because that's when we came. But as a kid growing up and the importance of knowing and learning a, about my culture, mm -hmm. about our cultures, wherever we come from. I brought um, the first um, African story. Lydia Cabrera um, collected um, African stories from um, the Africans who came to uh, Cuba. In uh, Cuba, the um, Africans were allowed to maintain their languages and cultures, mm -hmm. unlike here in the United States. So it was very interesting that um, the African languages of that time period were maintained by the people. So um, Ayapa stories, I love Ayapa stories. They are, um, this is the um, uh, sort of trickster mm -hmm. in um, Yoruba stories. Yoruba is one of the cultures that came to uh, La Habana. I mean, Cuba. And um, from? From a, a Yoruba culture from West Africa. Mm -hmm. Now, um, Ayapa is very interesting because Ayapa is a turtle, Jicotea, Cuentos de Jicotea. Mm -hmm. And um, when I love stories, I'm a storyteller. And um, Ayapa is a turtle. Of course, I love turtles. But <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's very interesting because Ayapa is as a turtle, and turtles walk very slowly, and so on, sort of exists at the margins of the animal kingdom. But also Ayapa is a female character, which is very unusual. Mm -hmm. By the time the stories reach the West, um, many of the tricksters become male mm -hmm. characters. But Ayapa is a female uh, character in the original story. Uh -huh. And I love Ayapa stories. Um, I, I first heard uh, Rogelio Martinez Fure, mm -hmm. who is a, a Cuban um, anthropologist mm -hmm. or ethnographer, I'm not sure, um, tell the story of Ayapa. Uh -huh. became one of my stories. Very interesting. Yeah. I, I also wanted to add that in SC Lens, our, um, which is the shared library catalog with about 20 different counties, we do have several books by Jose Marti, including La Edad de Oro. So if you have yeah, a card are. with one of these libraries, you can check it out. And there's also a children's book called Marti's Song from, for Freedom, or Marti Sus Versos por la Independencia. That's another a good choice for someone who wants to learn more about Jose Marti. And that's a bilingual book as awesome. well. That's wonderful. Yeah, Jose Marti was definitely short-lived. Mm -hmm. He lived a short life because he was killed instantly when he um, became a warrior. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's another story. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Thank you so much, Berta. It has been such a pleasure to have you here today, sharing all these wonderful memories and how they have walked with you through life. Mm -hmm. and listening at you about how we can better support our children in a diverse context. It is such a great um, tool and experience. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm really excited about it. Yes, thank you for sharing your experience with us. 
Thank you for being here with us today, and thank you to our listeners. You can find Bibli Observatory on Podbean, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio, or add us on your favorite podcast app. Our podcast website address is libraryvoices.podbean.com. We love hearing from our listeners, so send us your comments and suggestions for future episodes. Bibli Observatory is a collaborative literacy initiative to connect our communities and children with the joy of listening, reading, and writing those memories from childhood that changed our lives. Thanks for listening. Thank you.